Thank you for listening to another episode of More Than Isms Extra, hosted by Calvin Eaton, founding director of 540 West Main, Inc. 540 West Main is a nonprofit community organization located in the Susan B. Anthony neighborhood of Rochester, New York. Our mission is to curate and create online and community-based programming rooted in anti-racism and justice for all. You can learn more about our mission and our work by visiting our website, 540westmain.org. If you'd like to support our work further, you can also become a monthly sustaining member, which ensures that we continue to scale up our work in 2020 and beyond by visiting patreon.com slash 540WMAIN, where you can get more exclusive content like podcasts, blog posts, and also video and webinars dedicated to teaching you about how to be and practice anti-racism in your life. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Hello. Hi, can you hear me? I hear you great. It's so great to have you. Um, So we're here with um, Marissa Zepieri. You I did. hope I said it right. Um, I know Marissa. We we are both um, part of the um, chronic chronically ill community. Um, Marissa is the founder and um, what is editor in chief of Lupus Check, which which is this amazing online platform website um, for people who live with lupus and other. Um, chronic illnesses i believe correct correct um so lupuschick.com and um i'll actually just let you marissa just sort of introduce yourself to listeners you um how long you've lived with lupus and some of your other like maybe intersectional um chronic illnesses and we could have a whole episode about like your start with lupus chick and we will do that um so yeah just sort of introduce yourself in the platform to listen. Sure thing. Well, first, I just wanted to thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And hi, everyone. I'm Marissa. I have probably been living with lupus and some other autoimmune diseases since I was about eight years old. Um, but as we, a lot of us know, in the 80s, they weren't necessarily tested for very often. So it wasn't until my 20s when I was officially diagnosed. Uh, so now I'm going on about 20 years here. And in addition to lupus, I deal with uh, urticaria and asthma and uh, have a brain aneurysm, which actually is tied back to the lupus. So it's a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've watched, I don't even know, I don't remember when I connected with you, Marissa, but obviously being a fan of your work and just following your story and, you know, it's, it's it's very frustrating when you live with an invisible disability like lupus, and I, I live with fibromyalgia, as folks who, who know our platform know, um, you know, oftentimes you might, to the outside eye, look well, and people, people may not know all of the underlying or can see the underlying challenges that we face. Um, Marissa is like, you, I can't even believe that, and I say this with all sincerity, like you don't look like someone who's lived with lupus for 20 years. Um, but here we are. Um, and really our topic today that we're going to really be focusing this episode of More Than Isms um, extra on is really thinking about accessibility and its intersection with disability, which which is a huge conversation right now for us at least because we're we're all dealing with living through a global pandemic of COVID-19. And it's really completely shifted the entire national conversation around how we're interacting with each other in physical spaces. Most people are being advised to, you know, sort of be at home, quarantine themselves at home, or just physically distancing ourselves from public spaces. Restaurants have closed and other non, non-essential businesses all across the country as government and policymakers are really trying to figure out how to stop the spread of this illness. Um, it's even more imperative for folks who, who like us, may have 
compromised immune systems and live with other illnesses that people are not spreading um, the virus from person to person. And so a week ago now, Marissa, you posted on your Facebook, um, and for folks who just will keep saying, again, lupuschick.com is the website and the Facebook page. You made a comment, which was really, it really hit me. I was like, at the time, getting ready to actually leave the house, um, what a difference a week makes. And you said, um, I, and I'm quoting, love how so many companies won't commit to offering remote work positions for people with disabilities or chronic illness, but coronavirus hits and suddenly thousands of companies can immediately transition to to remote. Fascinating. And so, like for you, like what 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 really moved you to make this comment that that for some people might come off as like disparaging or dismissive of the the situation that unfolded, which is actually worse now. Than right. So I'll start off with my comment was really not towards uh, let's say healthy people that are now doing remote work. It was more of a frustration for so many years uh, with myself and literally thousands of people I've met now through Lupus Chick and through speaking and traveling that are struggling trying to financially support themselves and find employers that will work with them as far as remote work or give them reasonable accommodations. So in addition to founding Lupus Chick, I've been a journalist for the past 13 years. And one area that I write often about is employment and chronic illness and how those intersect with one another. Mm -hmm. So the Americans with Disabilities Act is uh, something that I I reference a lot. And even though this was signed into uh, law back in 1990, you know, even just in the past year or two, even my own personal struggles of finding uh, regular employment, employment that actually pays me what I'm worth with my skill set and my experience, um, but that I can also manage my illness has been difficult. So here we are, um, you know, 30 years later, and there's still struggles. And I know I'm not alone in that. And yet, in the past two weeks, we've seen major companies, hundreds of companies transition and schools Mm -hmm. transition all of a sudden, that these things are available and that they can still function without people physically in the office. And it it just sort of blew my mind how quickly it happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it was really like watching it was fascinating, like you said, and, you know, many of many people who, you know, get a a diagnosis of chronic illness, it's usually very frustrating and it can take many years. And, you know, the, the, the immediate impacts often are the lack of, energy that you might have or we have suddenly um just certain aspects of daily living are are completely altered and for so many people all that they may need to sustain work a career is accommodations which there's already been the ada and and you can talk more about the ada um because i think you can you have a better sort of sense to talk i'd have to think about it a little bit more um but I think for many of us, an employer might on paper say that they're, oh yeah, and I've had jobs, like I used to be a teacher, I was in the classroom, you know, I remember in my sort of worst that I was dealing with in 2012, which which really led to me becoming a solopreneur and then an entrepreneur was because I was trying to figure out with, with my school at the time, the principal, like, I don't, I need support, I need can I can I come in four days a week? Those types of things, and I recognize really quickly that they they might have been saying things to say, oh sure, yeah, just to get you into the door. But then, if I if I had of put myself in that situation, there would not have truly been the systemic support that I needed to be able to be uh-huh. successful. And I was unwilling at that time to put myself in another toxic toxic environment. Because I had been doing it for many years up until that point, like, oh, yeah, we can support part time. Oh, yeah, you can work from home one day a week or you can leave early on this day. And then when it actually comes to actually implementing it or like in practice, like in real time practice, people either are people get upset. They become passive aggressive. They really, truly don't have your back as they say they would. And so for those reasons, so many people 
end up needing to file for disability or not even being able to get disability and just not work because the culture of the workplace is not supportive of, of people who, you know, especially when it's an invisible illness and it's like, oh, well, you look fine today or you did it yesterday or you worked a full day yesterday and you don't seem like you're, you're, you're going to be ill. What's the, what's the big deal, you know? And for so many of us, we've had to literally chronic illness forces you to create your own work lane because there's really no, there's no other options systemically. Absolutely. Um, and so, no, so yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, people that are chronically ill, they, oftentimes they get hit twice, right? So we have employers that possibly aren't making uh, reasonable accommodations as they're required to by law, especially if they have uh, more than 15 employees. So they might say they will, but actually implementing those and being able to sustain those are, are two different things. And then if they do not implement those and someone can't find uh, sustainable employment that they can financially support themselves, then they might be inclined to go down the filing for disabilities option, which is a whole other beast in itself. So they're being let down by the infrastructure of employment, the way it's set up right now in the United States. And then the whole infrastructure of the disability process, where one, if you haven't worked enough, you don't have enough credits to even apply for the disability. And second of all, mm -hmm. trying to support yourself while you're waiting for disability, which can take anywhere from two to three years. And that's, you know, a successful uh, disability call at the end typically require, requires to have an attorney on your side. So you're looking mm -hmm. at um, being let down in multiple areas, um, in infrastructures that are set up basically for healthy people. Yeah, and it, and it, and it becomes this catch twenty two, and you know you can't you can't get credits or you can't put in time in an employer without working, but then also you can't really work in the same way that you were when you were healthier before your your diagnosis, and so it becomes this very frustrating. Um, convoluted complex. I remember um, many years ago when I was still figuring out chronic illness, I was actually working a full-time job and a part-time job at Target. And I remember needing to ask Target to be able to like have a stool and, you know, I can't stand up for a full four-hour shift. And I just remember even getting something as simple as that, like I can still do the job, but I need a stool was this whole like paperwork and people like hemming and hawing. And I just felt, I mean, they eventually, I mean, they did accommodate it, but I felt the process of them even doing it was not only demeaning, but it was just like, I felt like I just felt inferior. I was being treated inferior. And so it made me really right. self-conscious to the point where like, sometimes I would like not really use it because I felt like, Oh, well, maybe I'm not disabled enough. Like I'm not using a walker or a wheelchair. I can use my legs. And so I think that it's also just the attitude. Um, the, the attitude and the culture is so important, even if an employer may give you an accommodation, if they're doing it in a way that is, is makes you feel like you're not a whole person, that it's just become the, a toxic work environment, which only add all of that stress for so many of us, it, it further impacts our ability to do quality work. I agree. And that's a tough thing, you know, when you might have an employer who is on board and is willing to work with you and sees your worth and sees your skill set and your experience and wants you as part of the team. And then you have to deal with sometimes coworkers, right? Which leads you to the whole other mm -hmm. uh, conversation of, you know, how much do you disclose at work and who do you disclose it to? Um, you know, there's usually one or two people, they might think that you're getting special treatments, reasonable accommodations are not s supposed to be set up in a way where it, in any uh, reference that it's a special treatment, but rather that you are able to um, perform your job. 
just like someone who is healthy, just with an accommodation. And mm-hmm. for some people that might be, uh, I went, I went through a few of them the other day with someone, you know, for someone with lupus, it might be having fluorescent light bulbs changed out because fluorescent light bulbs are known to trigger certain autoimmune diseases like lupus. It might be having a parking spot that's closer to the door uh, or having a parking pass. Um, for some people that have Crohn's or colitis, it might be having a an office or a cubicle that's close to a restroom. Uh, it could also be working from home a few days a week or being able to leave after lunch and work the rest of your, your day from home. Even something as simple as having time off to do your medical treatments and being able to make up that time in some way from home uh, through your computer. So these aren't things that necessarily, at least in my eyes, disrupt uh, an employing employer's workspace and flow, um, but there are things that could be implemented rather easily and could actually help an employee work at an optimal level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think what we're what we're calling out. So again, I think to reemphasize, I don't want people listening thinking that we're calling out. Like obviously, right now, it's imperative that all employers support everyone mentally emotionally and obviously we all by by decree by executive order um today you know andrew cuomo said that that all non-essential businesses should be reducing their workforce by 50 percent across the board anybody who can work from home any business if that's not critical for people to be on site should be working from home and that's that's great but i think really what we're saying is that we need to keep that same energy um, when we get through this pandemic, you know, when, it, when the dust settles, um, because, you know, one of the things that I elaborated from your post was that for so many years, disability advocates and other people and, and, and staff and both of us in the community have been saying these same things. And time and time again, we get pushback culturally, we get pushback from employers, we get pushback from, from former coworkers, where there's just this environment, there's just this tone or culture that people with disabilities don't matter. People are, you know, dismissed. Um, all of these calls to action policies are, or we can't implement it. It'll be too much money. We don't have the resources. And then as soon as something like this happened, again, like you said, this is not so much even talking about smaller businesses because sometimes it can become a financial burden just as a business owner. Um, depending on the level of business, but we're talking about major institutions like colleges, universities, um, you know, corporate organizations, Fortune 500 companies that have the resources, have the capacity to allow someone to work from home one day a week or whatever it is, um, or even some, maybe, maybe all the time, the shift that we've seen now, like for most organizations that I know, like my brother works for MCC, they're shifting to, um, to to work from home. I have a, a friend at RIT who are doing the same. It's taken the company almost no, like they're not expending any money to allow their employees to work from home. It takes a little bit of management and coordination and just the will to do it. And I think that's where the frustration in the disability community is coming from. Like you told us that you absolutely could never do this. It's just not, it's not feasible you need to find somewhere else to work, right? And I think that's where it is so frustrating to see like, oh, oh, we can do it now because it's impacting all of us. And so I've been seeing comments like people saying like, well, have I not mattered for all of these years? Like able-bodied people matter, but I've, I've always asked this and I was told no, was I not valuable enough for you to change your policy? And And I think that that's where a lot of the hurt and frustration is. is I agree. I think it is a matter of, you know, you, everyone wants to feel valuable. Everyone wants to be able to um, add in their experience and their skills and, and be a productive member of society, at least everyone that I've met. So I think my frustration with my post was the infrastructure was obviously there to a certain extent for most companies that in a matter of one to three weeks, they have been able to not help one employee 
uh, work remotely or shift things, but literally (laughs) (laughs) tens and hundreds of thousands of employees or students have been able to still continue on, Mm -hmm. but now work from home. So the question is, why does it take a public health crisis to make things like work accessible to people? Something as simple as work that we need to survive on. That, that's where my frustration mm-hmm. um, had come in last week. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that there are, luckily I've been able over the years to find employers that, that will work with me. Um, but at the same time, it's mm-hmm. always come from a place where I've had to go above and beyond to prove myself. I've had to be extremely aggressive, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. and there were times when, unfortunately, I, I was so incredibly ill, I couldn't do those things. I, I couldn't go above and beyond. I couldn't be very aggressive. Um, but it, I almost felt like even though I had, I just remember one specific experience, twice the amount of years mm-hmm. of experience um, over a colleague, I, I felt like I had to consistently uh, prove myself on a daily basis because it was still looked at as oh, she's the one that's, you know, always sick and she's always getting treatment and this and that. My, my work was was on point all the time and I received high praise, but I, I felt like I had to, do, mm-hmm. you know, do twice the amount of effort as the person, you know, next to me that was able bodied. That's frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and all of that is so already taxing on an already taxed and compromised system, right? With with learning how to manage an illness, and I think, you know, for so so many people who 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 move into you know a chronic disability, it's it's many years of figuring it out. And for for many of us, it does it does come down to, especially as an illness progresses or um, gets you know more severe over time, it may end up being best for someone to need to completely work from home but that's not for everyone obviously that is so different from person to person but i think that you know what we're seeing now is that it it requires it requires a cultural shift a change of mindset and a change of policy and practice and one of the things that i'm hoping that 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 is a silver lining from all of this is that all of this conversation about remote work and technology and employers trying to make sure that they are, are, are in the 21st century is that I think that we don't, none of us know how long we're going to be required to like be um, hunk, hunker down, so to speak, you know, and so it could be weeks, it could be months. And I really am hoping that as a, as a society, as a culture, that we really begin to shift to see, because I think that for many employers, who even come from so many intergenerational employer employees, it becomes a situation where a supervisor might not just, they may feel like, oh, I won't be able to keep tabs on my employees. And that's why I want them to be in the office, right? They're not going to get as much work done. And I really think what we're seeing now is that it's forcing all of these people and organizations to really change the way they look at just employers and work in general in a, in a very different way. And I'm hoping that we begin to look to disability advocates like yourself and other people as really experts in this because we've all, we've really had to really make it a lifestyle, like truly in ways that so many other people, as we see, are really behind the curve right. with it. I think there are a lot of uh, pieces of advice that people that have been working remotely or sort of forged their own path because of a chronic illness or disability, um, things that we've learned can really help in this situation right now. I know for me, I get more work done in one day at home, uh, you know, just in my office with the peace and quiet than being in an employee uh, employer situation where there's meetings, where there's constant interruptions, things like that. Um, I know that my productivity goes up way higher um, when I am on my own, but I I also work really well on my own. I'm very disciplined. So it comes down to being disciplined, Mm -hmm. being responsible. But at the same time, people that are chronically ill, for the most part, know some days they're not going to work, be able to work at all. 
most days, maybe they'll have, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I have a good four or five hour window every day where I'm, I feel really good for most days if I'm not in a flare up. Mm-hmm. So I'm usually getting eight or nine hours worth of work done in that four to five hour time span. I've been able to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, compact things that I, I work quickly. I, I have, you know, workarounds that I've created for myself and, these are things that can happen uh, for anyone that's working from home now. You know, being mm-hmm. able to sort of isolate yourself in a quiet room, set set a schedule, you know, and and do things that help you help make you more productive. So my hope is when that we've sort of turned the corner from all of this that employees employers will understand when someone comes um, with an application and is looking for a job and maybe has a chronic illness or a disability that they can sit back for a second and realize, you know what, we made this work for people that are completely healthy healthy and aren't struggling with anything else. And this is a person that is experienced, wants to work, has the skills, is enthusiastic, you know, and we're going to be able to make this work for this individual. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that, you know, there's there's so much there's so much knowledge and resource in the community that, that, that all employers would really benefit from hiring us as consultants, you know, maybe now. And, you know, really as we, I think that this really will need to become a new normal for the United States. Um, There's so many companies and organizations that I am connected with now that are all virtual, that they have employees and they have staff um, all over the world, all over the country um, the full organizations that are tapping into, you know, technologies like Zoom and Skype and all of these other things. But I think that those always seem like pockets or very specific, um, either employers or sectors of employment. Um, but what I think that we're talking about in this conversation is really more complete systemic change and cultural conversation. And, and I'm hoping that we don't we don't lose this conversation as things like go back to quote unquote normal. So shifting gears slightly because you you are I think especially more than than me really um, I would say well, I don't want to say on the ground but 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 really more intimately talking to people who are living with chronic illness. Um, what what are what are some of the things that that you would like to see, Marissa? Like if we're saying that we're going to really use this time to do better as a culture, what are the types of policy types of things that you would want to see employers begin to think about and maybe implement um, to make, to make all, you know, relevant, all jobs accessible to people with disabilities, whether that be invisible or otherwise? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, you go to a lot of organizations, websites and, you'll find a very small pocket of virtual positions available. Now, I know that not every type of industry, you know, can be a work at home uh, career, right? So I get that. But I do think that there are many employers out there and and many um, job titles that they're recognizing right now don't necessarily need to be in the office 40 hours a week. So... I think for the disability and chronic illness community to encourage employers right now, instead of coming at this where, I mean, you know, I was more fascinated of how quickly things happened, which is why I made the comment. But I also, I do see a lot of anger in the community and I understand 100% where that anger is coming from. And on a level, I I do agree with just that, that frustration and that, you know, like, any, any victory that we've had over the years, um, whether individual or, or collectively as a group, has been a very hard-won victory. And we have had to struggle mm-hmm. and make our case and, and be aggressive, you know. Uh, I just I keep going back to that word because that's how hard we've had to work to just have simple things put into place. So I understand that, but I think coming at this and raising these issues from a place of wanting to educate, wanting to make people aware, wanting to encourage employers like, hey, right now in your in your firm, in your organization, what positions 
are sort of changing in your mind that you see, wow, this did not need to be necessarily an in-person 40 an hour a week position. Could we make this, you know, half time at home or full time at home? Uh, could this be something that's more of a flexible position um, where, you know, it really depends on the week and what's happening in the business? Because I think for employers, they're getting a, a a reality check right now that we, we've never really had right in history of looking at every single job that they have under their business and if it's feasible for that job to actually be taken out of a physical workplace and brought into the home so that would just be something that i would encourage during right. this time absolutely and there's there's some there's so many things and i think that you know, I would I would add to what you just shared. I think if employers could listen to listen to their employees, listen to the community, I think that so much of this conversation is just a matter of will and people understanding. And if 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 anything can come from this pandemic and all of this conversation now, I hope that it's a, it is a better empathy for all of us as it comes to um, just how 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 quickly our whole world can change and you 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 sort of think about how that looks on an individual level as people experience you know loss or they experience um healthiness or not being healthy depending on an ailment or or something that becomes a chronic disability like it completely changes your whole mental state and I think that so many people have never had to deal with this now understand what it may be like for someone like yourself or like me who goes from like one way of being to another almost overnight and so I'm, I'm hoping that even just that empathy and kindness that we should always display for each other is something that I hope that we keep it after the pandemic I agree sort of and I think down. adding to that I wish employers right now would think about a, the word adapt and how quickly that they had to adapt to this health crisis, right? And think about the fact that, mm -hmm. and, and maybe this has never entered into their mind. Our, it, it's like one of our greatest achievements as someone that's living with a chronic illness or disability. Every day is an adaptation, right? We have had to adapt our work life, our career, uh, maybe we've had to get a different career or we've had to go into a different area of the career that we were trained in or have experience in. We have to figure out how to adapt to get around, um, to get help when we're unable to leave our bed or even help ourselves. Um, our relationships have, you know, we've we've adapted in every area, even trying to I mean, one of the greatest, I think, adaptations that we do on a regular basis is going out into the everyday world and walking this line of we're, we're sick every day. We deal with things every single day, but we're trying to be out there and be part of this world and make connections and live out our purpose and things like that. And yet, you know, we have to sort of walk back a little bit because if we're too sick, we sort of get looked at as this person's lazy, they're unmotivated, they just want a free handout. I mean, there has been so much, you know, adapting in my life as someone that's had chronic illness from when I was, you know, much younger and healthier. And I'm sure that there has mm -hmm. been in your life as well. So we're almost like chameleons that we've had to um adapt to so much change. I mean, that's the thing. When chronic illness makes an appearance, you know, every single aspect of your life changes. And this has happened for now the entire mm -hmm. world and it's happened in a matter of weeks. And it's it's sort of, they're getting a, a small taste of what many of us have been dealing with for years. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I'm, I'm sort of connecting with friends and people over the last couple of days and, and I'm, they're like, how are you doing? And I'm like, well, for me, you know, outside of like the world imploding, it seems like <laughs> it's been pretty normal. Like, you know, in terms of having multiple days during the week that I'm working from home, like explicitly, you know, having days where like I have every week in general, I always have like a rest day where I, I don't, exp I don't put the expectation on myself to do any like 
professional administrative work. I just rest and meditate and do yoga all day. So, you know, it's interesting because so for so many folks, they don't, that's not their normal. That's not, you know, it's, it's my normal, it's your normal, but, but we, we also had to come to accepting this normal. It wasn't always the way that we lived either. I mean, I think that people are able to sort of get a glimpse at what it's like to like being forced to literally live in the shoes of someone else. So I really, I really want this momentum, this sort of like conversation to not be lost um, when things do get back from a worldwide perspective to a little bit more of the normal, I'm hoping that this is a critical shift in our cultures, um, just in how we're connecting with each other or not connecting with each other, how employers are um, supporting their employees and their staff at every single level. I think that we see so much right now, communities coming together, the service industry, I want to see some major shifts in policy with the service industry and sick time and medical leave and all of those things. I think that, I mean, we haven't even touched any of that in this conversation, but those are huge conversations for people who, I know so many people who push and drag their bodies to a full-time job because they have to have, uh -huh. they need the insurance that the job provides in order to live with the chronic illness because if they did not have that insurance, they would, they would not be able to survive like literally. So, um, you know, not everybody even living with chronic illness, um, has the privilege of creating a new career or working from home. Like there are people who drag themselves into a job. And I remember doing it for many years. I was living alone. Um, you know, I was living in, in Nashville and I would work Monday through Friday and spend Friday after work through Sunday night getting ready to do it all over again. And that in Absolutely. and of itself is exhausting. But I did it because I needed the money. I needed the benefits. I needed the health. Um, and so much of that is because you know that many jobs don't provide medical benefits part time, you know, right. or per diem or whatever it is. There's So That's there's two things that you made well. me think of um, with what you were just saying. Uh, one was I was trying to explain to someone the other day because they were they were already getting cabin fever in such a short amount of time. And I said, I want you to understand that for people that have chronic illness, this is this is a struggle for us all the time. That desire to want to leave the house and connect with people and live your life. And you cannot. That's it. You just cannot. Right. And this is what we mm -hmm. deal with on a regular mm -hmm. basis. And then you and I were. Um, we mentioned we were talking about this earlier was the whole social distancing, right? We've become we've become experts at that over the past uh, decade or two decades, because how how much of our life um, are we actually isolated and alone for people that are disabled or have chronic illness? That's that's usually a huge part of their life, and um, you know, think about mm -hmm. the perceptions that are that have been around for so long or these misconceptions that right now we have the ability to change. Uh, like I was mentioning to you, I've always gone places with a mask. I've always had Lysol wipes with me. Uh, I always have hand sanitizer. I always ask people if they're sick, if they've been sick recently. And now that's okay. Mm -hmm. And people don't look at me sideways or roll their eyes or assume automatically um, I'm being a hypochondriac or I'm being a worry wart. No. It's because I've been on immunosuppressants now for almost 20 years. So your cold can literally put me in the hospital and almost kill me or kill me. Um, it's happened in the past, right? So mm -hmm. this is how our life has been for so long. And now everyone else is sort of being brought up to speed. It's almost like they're getting a crash course in what it's like to be sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's so true. And you know, it it is uncovering, I think, one of the things that I'm really focusing on in all of this, just as an observer, is how all of these inequities that we've talked about, that even not even all of them, but just... Hey, so Marissa and I ended up having a technical glitch with the show there, so I'm going to come right back with Marissa for the second part of this episode um, and then we'll finish out. Thanks so much for listening.
Like, this call is now being recorded. Um, and then there might have been something with like the time. I don't know, but we'll we'll jump back in and <laughs> um, thank you for for getting back with 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 me here. So before we got disconnected, um, you know, before we were just sort of talking about um, this is sort of like a crash a crash course for folks who you know who who've never experienced you know experienced social distancing or or being sort of forced to, to change just the way that you do your normal day-to-day life and that's like such a huge part of chronic illness and disability and so um i think you know i wanted to sort of get your perspective on you know for for policy leaders people who have like access to who are maybe running organizations or have a leadership position and, and able to influence these types of decisions i think you know what would you what would you like them to sort of take away from this conversation and you know nationally that we're having right now well i think the biggest thing right now is what we're seeing is the way that we've done things for decades uh isn't necessarily perhaps the best way uh the yeah. cha- <clears throat> changes can be made uh there there are a lot of conversations that excuse me <clears throat> tickle in my throat mm-hmm. there are a lot of conversations that chronic illness advocates uh, have been trying to have for many years. So maybe now's the time to start having those. I think that looking at work in a different light, looking at how uh, you can help people that want to work for your organization and aren't disabled or chronically ill or mothers and fathers that have, you know, uh, a lot of children and maybe need just a little a tweak to their schedule or, you know, working remote part of the time. I mean, it doesn't necessarily even have to be for someone that's um, chronically ill. Maybe it's a a caregiver. Think about uh, people Mm -hmm. that take care of their parents, you know, and struggle with a full time uh, in an actual office. So maybe this is, you know, the perfect opportunity to look at old institutional like ways of thinking about employment and how we can actually bring this up to speed with the technology, the amazing technology that we have in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, like, changing the way that we're thinking and doing things and how, you know, for so many industries, you know, it's just been antiquated and people are not, have been so unwilling to think outside the box. And, and now, you know, culturally overnight, we've had, you know, people have been forced to be adaptable to shift very quickly, you know, to modify. And that is just such a part of living with chronic illness and disability that I think it becomes so second nature for those of us who are living it that, you know, now seeing everyone else sort of like start to freak out and it's, you know, anxiety inducing for them. It's almost like, wow, now you, now you understand to a degree like what we've had to go through and in many cases, you know, you created a community, Lupus Shit community. You know, we I have the Living with Fibromyalgia platform on Facebook now. It's, it was a blog to connect with each other because the, the general population, you know, there was just no resources for those of us who, who had, who needed this. And so I think it's so important as we look at healthcare and think about healthcare, think about mental health, Think about access that 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 that's really so important that we we call out systems and we hold them accountable um, long after you know after this pandemic settles down and also thinking about like you know we have such a global society now that this is not going to be the last pandemic I, you know I hate to say and it's almost like now everyone's sort of getting this crash course and understanding why we need to be better prepared and have our infrastructures better prepared for future instances of something like this. I agree. I think, you know, after this, for anyone that is chronically ill and is out looking for employment, this is a a wonderful example to bring up. You know, what what did your company do during uh, the coronavirus pandemic? How did you transition your employer your employees to working from home you know is this position something that we could talk about that um, with also people really need to be aware of the ada and what it involves 
Uh, I wrote a series a long time ago, probably about two years now, for a website called Health Grades, and the entire thing was about working with lupus, but really the information was for anyone living with a chronic illness to know your rights, to know your responsibilities as an employee, to know what you do and do not have to disclose when you're on an interview or when you're actually working uh, for a company, uh, to know what are reasonable accommodations, what is uh, part of this law, what are you allowed to ask for, um, how, you know, what happens if an employer seems to reject an accommodation or not hire you because, specifically because of a disability or chronic illness, you know, it's against the law. So there's a lot to know under the ADA, and I would just uh, recommend for anyone, you know, in our situation that is looking for employment or will be looking for employment uh, to know these things before they walk into an interview or start a conversation with an organization. Yeah, and you know, as you say that, Marissa, is thinking of, I, I think that, that might be like a really awesome webinar. Um, I'd love to have you sort of think about offline how we might be able to take that post and make it into an engaging and dynamic webinar and and maybe the proceeds can go to both of our you know organizations 540 West Main and Lupus Check. Um, I think that that's so important and like you said, not just for folks who are disabled and in the disability community, but but also advocates, also caretakers. You know, it may not be that you live with a disability personally, but you may be supporting someone who does. Um, I know a lot of people in my life who that is the case. There may be children or, or, or a partner or a spouse or, or a parent or, or other family member. I think it's so important that the more that we talk about it as, as employees and people who are working with businesses, the more that we all can hold them accountable because for, for, we hate to say it, but, but oftentimes it's what you don't know that, that is, ends up being like, oh, if I had known that, I would have been able to navigate that that employer or that organization. But you can't do anything often when you've, when you've left or you've, you know, been illegally let go or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I love to sort of think through that. Yeah, I think that would be great. Yeah, in this, in this situation, ignorance is not bliss. Uh, we need to know these things because we are most often in front of managers or human resource um, personnel who necessarily don't have a chronic illness, maybe do not um, every day interact with people that have a chronic illness. So, you know, we're going in there in a sense of looking for employment, educating at the same time, and also having to know our rights and know what our legal rights are, know what their legal rights are, um, if what we're asking, you know, is okay on our end. So I, I definitely like the idea of uh, diving into that a little bit more. There's a lot involved in the ADA. Yeah. Um, so shifting gears a little, so we're sort of getting to the end of our conversation, Marissa, and I'm looking at, I'm on lupuschick.com. So um, this is, um, I'm, I'm with the founder of, of, of Lupus Chick, Marissa. Um, say your last name again. I've already lost. That's okay. <laughs> Zapieri. Uh, Zapieri. Um, Lupus Chick is an, an online digital resource for all things lupus and, and, and other, you know, other resources for folks who are, who are living with a chronic illness or invisible disability. Um, your website offers the blog, the community, which is also on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm looking at the website, you have coaching services, membership services, I am so connected to you on social media that I don't even think I've ever like joined the mailing list. So I'm, I'm going to do that, but, but just talk a little bit more about like, you know, the community of Lupus Chick. I think that we're talking so much now about, you know, social, digital, online communities. Um, what are, what are some of the benefits of people connecting with Lupus Chick as a, as, you know, as, a, as an online community? So Lupus Chick has really grown. Uh, we sort of encompass people that have autoimmune disease or overlap disease uh, at this point. There are a lot of people on our social accounts that don't necessarily have lupus, but they deal with some of the overlaps that we deal with, such as rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, uh, thyroid issues, um, MS. That's another one. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's even like Lyme. There are a lot of different uh, chronic pain, even you know, mental health issues, 
depression, anxiety, things that come along with chronic illness. So it is, you know, was named Lupus Chick. My, my original plan was to have a blog. The blog grew into a website uh, over the last 12 years, and then we turned it into a nonprofit mm-hmm. about five years ago. And today we reach a half a million people a month, and not all of those people have lupus. So it's, it's also not just patients. It's caregivers. It's physicians. Um, it's people that are in just the medical field that want to know more, that want to know how to interact with someone that has a chronic illness, what things to say, what things not to say, um, which are very appreciated when uh, appreciated when they actually ask, you know, I, I do infusions for people that have lupus, you know, mm-hmm. can you give me some tips? That's amazing. You know, that's, I, I don't think those conversations happened, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. At least I, I was never aware of them when I was, you know, first diagnosed. So, yeah, we've sort of grown into this amazing community, and the really neat thing is on our socials, as much as I interact with people or try to interact with people, because that in itself is a full-time job, as you know, uh, they interact with one another. I have a lot of people that have sent us messages saying that they have met some of their closest friends Um a lot of women, obviously, uh, more women deal with autoimmune disease than men. A lot of women that have forged these bonds and these groups where they now talk to each other off of our site, which is amazing. And these people don't even live in the same country, and they say that, you know, they finally feel like they've met people that understand what they go through on a regular basis. And that's, speaking of being isolated and self uh, social distancing, I mean, there's you know, sometimes that's the the greatest gift I think that we can have is knowing that we're not dealing with this by ourselves. Absolutely. And, you know, in addition to, you know, leading the website and the community, you're also a freelance, you know, health, wellness, consultant, disability advocate, and you've, you know, you've done speaking engagements, your work has been featured, you know, as a journalist in Glamour, Eating Well, um, what what can people what are some things that are happening maybe behind the scenes um at Lupus Chick that you can share with listeners um just in your journey um you know as a freelance speaker as well Yes, yeah, so I started speaking a few years ago at different uh conferences for pharmaceutical companies, um some keynotes for some medical schools and it's really been interesting the different audiences. You know, I've spoken to groups of nursing students or uh soon to be physicians and I've had the opportunity to speak with researchers at some of the largest pharmaceutical companies and that to me was uh some probably some of the most eye-opening conversations because most oftentimes these are researchers that are working on, you know, our next potential big medication, and yet um, a lot of them have told me that I'm the first patient they've actually been able to interact with or ask specific questions to, which as someone that has chronic illness, that blows my mind because it's like you're you're the one on the front line possibly making this next medication, and yet there's such a disconnect of what I actually deal with on a daily basis, but wouldn't that be key to know, like, before moving forward? Um, so I, I love the fact that I get to travel now and I get to speak to people, and I also love the fact that I can work one-on-one with other patients that have lupus or overlap disease, whether it's uh, coaching through like nutrition, food, that's a, a huge aspect of um, things that I talk about and also uh, with things like employment or, or starting your own. You know, a lot of people, I get a lot of comments of, um, you know, I want to start my own movement. I want to, I have my own idea. Like, how do I move forward? Well, let me, I can share with you what I did. I can share with you some success tips from other people that I've worked with and, you know, let's get your idea out there because that's the whole reason that the whole chronic illness community uh, conversations have changed over the past 10 years is because we have advocates coming out on a daily basis that are speaking out and using social media to share their stories. And in, in that sense, it's been unbelievable. Right. Absolutely. Um, we're like, we, we, we sort of capped it at an hour and then we had a little like technical glitch, but you know, I I I know that we're going to do some some other collaborations already from this, Marissa. Thank you so much for for joining me today. I think in closing, just sort of, is there anything else that you want folks to sort of know um, about you know what we talked about in the podcast today, or 
just in general um, about, you know, the lupus community or the work that you're doing, um, any sort of parting final words for folks? Well, I think, you know, right now, just uh, whatever your experience is as someone with chronic illness or disability, to share that online. But also, you know, our tone and the way we share things, the way our delivery is so important. Um, it's just as important as the content that we're delivering. So right now, people, I think, are concerned and are listening. So let's use this as the the right time to actually share our message and, and get it across, but in a way that's uh, loving and kind, because that's how we want people to react to us. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Marissa. This has been wonderful. Um, again, as folks, as we sort of sign out, you can connect with Marissa directly. Reach out to to her on her website, lupuschick.com. Um, and we'll definitely, I know that we'll, we'll sort of um, do some amazing, I have some ideas already sort of brewing in my mind on how we can collaborate, um, especially as folks have a little bit more space for online content for maybe a webinar um, that can really be some things that help people both, not only from sort of the advocate patient side or like em employee, but also I'm thinking about just like employers as well. I think that both of us have just being business owners and, and entrepreneurs um, ideas and advice for, for supervisors or, you know, other people who may be able-bodied and, and, and need some understanding on like, well, how do I implement some of this sort of remote working? What are some best practices? What are best tips? How can I set my employees up for success with remote work and accessibility, whether they have a disability or not? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank well, you so I'm much. Yes, absolutely. Um, thank you all for listening to um, Marissa, and um, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Calvin. So there you have it, my interview with Marissa Zepieri, who is the founder and editor-in-chief of LupusChick.com. Thank you so much for bearing with us as we had a little technical glitch. Um, we had to um, switch to another platform to re-record or, or finish the recording of the podcast as we discussed in this episode, um, flexibility and modification and just thinking on your feet and being adaptable is really par for the course not only for those of us in the disability community like Marissa, but also for all of us now, right? We're, we're experiencing this pandemic. There are so many unknowns. Um, the situation is changing literally by the minute in many cases, and all of us are really forcing and challenging ourselves on, on learning how to be um, a little bit more flexible in our thinking, a little bit more adaptable, and a little bit, a, a little bit more like just being kind to ourselves and others and allowing space for uncertainty, for accepting the things that we cannot change um, and being okay with that, focusing on gratitude and what we do have um, and trying to just stay grounded as much as possible. These are frightening times. It can be discombobulating being in a different routine, but think about we all, we all have it within ourselves um, to be resilient and to support not just ourselves, but also each other. Because if, if nothing else, this current situation with COVID-19 really helps us to understand how interconnected all of us are. And, and it's not just me, but, but I'm for me. I'm not just for me, but I'm for you. And you are for me as well. And we are for each other. And we need to really be thinking a little bit more community than we than I think we, we have in the past. So thank you so much for listening and for supporting. Um, 540 West Main's content has moved completely to um, online formats, webinar, podcasting for the foreseeable future. Um, this is really in line with our strategic planning of, of increasing the, the output and the quality and the quality of all of the digital content that we create as an organization. 540 West Main is an online platform. Um, we're all about curating and creating learning opportunities, much like what you just listened to with Marissa. If you want to learn more on how or 
and or support the work that we're doing as a 501c3 nonprofit organization, you should become a monthly member. Not only will you be supporting the work that we're doing, but you'll be supporting the, the creation of content like um, More Than Isms Extra Podcast. We also do members only podcast and we'll be creating video content as well. Um, not only now, but um, for, 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 for the foreseeable future and for, for weeks and months to come as well. So you can become a member for as little as $3 per month um, by going to patreon.com slash 540 W-M-A-I-N. You can learn more about our upcoming webinars. We have one coming up on March 19th and then the next one on March 26th. On March 19th is Bridging the Digital Divide with Rachel Barnhart. And on March 26th, we have a webinar. Um, These are all in-person classes that we've switched to webinar format via Zoom. Um, March 26th is Intro to Intersectional Feminism. Um, and that will be on March 26th. You can register for both classes via the Eventbrite platform, um, 540westmain.eventbrite.com, or by going to our website, 540westmain.org. Go to Programs and Community Classes. This is your host, Calvin, signing out, and I look forward to being with you again sometime soon in live. Um, but but for now, it's via podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I will um, be in touch soon. Bye.